Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Edward Said's 1978 book, Orientalism, dramatically shifted how people think about the production of knowledge and representations of the other. His ideas have been championed and critiqued, with dozens of books expanding his work on the construction of the... Edward Said's 1978 book, Orientalism, dramatically shifted how people think about the production of knowledge and representations of the other. His ideas have been championed and critiqued, with dozens of books expanding his work on the construction of the East in Western imagination. However, very rarely have we investigated the dual move of representing the other and self-representation from the other perspective. In his new book, Arab Occidentalism, Images of America in the Middle East, Eid Mohammed has undertaken this task. With great success, he offers a portrait of the shifting attitudes towards America and American culture in the Arab imagination in the post-9-11 media landscape. He found that Arab cultural producers have a complicated relationship with America, seeing it as problematic while also often representative of their own values. Mohammed delineates how this debate unfolds in literature, cinema, and news media. In our conversation, we explore the dynamics of Occidentalism through Arabic novels about Egyptians living abroad in the United States, news depictions of the 2008 shoe-throwing event with President George W. Bush in Iraq, the reactions to the election of Barack Obama, the Egyptian film industry, and contemporary Arab-American literary products. Thanks again for listening to New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christian Peterson. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Eid Muhammad. Thank you for joining me on New Books in Islamic Studies. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you about this this wonderful book, Arab Occidentalism, Images of America in the Middle East. Uh, but before we get there, uh, it's our tradition here at New Books in Islamic Studies to start with a little bit about 
you and how you became interested in the study of Muslim societies. So can, can you take a moment to tell us a little bit about uh, your background and training, perhaps influential mentors or moments that you had that uh, led you to study the things that you do? Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be part of this um, uh, interesting uh, uh, activity about uh, new books. And uh, um, with regard to my my story with this book, which is actually that this um, it was my dissertation for the PhD um, uh, I got from George Washington University. The story started in two thousand three, and uh, I was. Um, uh, 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 a research assistant at Al Azhar University in Egypt. I was invited by Fulbright to attend um, uh, uh, like a workshop, a summer institute, and it was about American studies. And um, a group of George Washington University scholars were um, coming from the U.S. to Egypt to teach us about American studies. What is American studies? And uh, it was a two weeks workshop where I met my advisor later on. She became my advisor in the PhD, Melanie McLester. And uh, uh, the whole issue was about how to define America and how to look at America. And after the workshop, I started like talking to myself about that. And um, at that time, I also was very interested in Edward Said and his book about Orientalism and following up his writings uh, about Orientalism. So from there, it started my interest in studying America. And in 2005, I submitted an application for George Washington for a PhD in American studies. I started uh, late in 2006. And um, my interest was in studying uh, Orientalism and focusing on how, how um, the U.S. media culture in general represented Arabs and Muslims. But after spending two years at George Washington and studying many, many courses about um, uh, related to Orientalism and the Orientalist works, I looked at the other side and how Arabs and Muslims look at America. And I found rarely any uh, books written by Arabs who look at um, Middle East and how the, the image of the U.S., especially after 9-11 attacks, how the U.S. is represented there. Really, I find like um, like a few articles, and it was like not complete works uh, focusing on this aspect of the study. At this time, also, I got the opportunity to work for Gallup organization um, when they were working, uh, conducting polls in different Arab and Islamic um, states looking at how um, how Muslims and Arabs look at America and how they um, like envision America after 9-11, especially with the um, question proposed by George W. Bush, why do they hate us, blah, blah, blah. So I looked at, um, at uh, the polls uh, conducted by Gallup, and I found like... Um, the results are a little bit um, different than what many, many Americans think at that time because Muslims and Arabs responded to these polls by saying, we don't hate America, actually, we like them, we like their technology, their democracy, blah, blah, blah. But what we don't like about America is their policy in the Middle East. Uh, 
And from there, it started my interest. This was around 2009, 2010, when I was finishing my coursework. So I told Melanie, I changed my mind. I'm, I'm going to focus right now on Occidentalism rather than Orientalism. And this is how it started the story with the, with the writing this um, dissertation. And after I finished my PhD, I spent two years working on trying to make some kind of updating. Especially I finished in 2011. And in 2011, I started the Arab Spring, which also contributed to, um, uh, in my belief, it contributed to correcting the image of Arabs and Muslims in um, uh, in the um, in the mind of many many Americans, especially with the um, Orientalist approach towards um, Arabs being incapable of making a change, but the Arab Spring came to respond to this um, uh, Orientalist uh, viewpoint by saying that yes, they they can make the change. Arabs can make the change, and they don't need the American troops to go to. Iraq or two to go to um, uh, this part of the world to make this change happen. Arabs themselves, they can make the change. So, um, yeah, I, um, I'm not sure if you if I answered my no, your question, wonderful. but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah, this is how it happens. Wonderful. Um, now, this, this, this key term here, Occidentalism, that you're using in the title and the, the major theme of the book, uh, represents this dual move of representation both of the other and then uh, matters of self-representation. Can you talk a little bit about how you're defining and using this, this term, Occidentalism, and what, what do you see as the general operations in uh, Arab cultural products of this idea of Occidentalism? Um, as I said before, like my interest in the topic started from Orientalism by Edward Sagi. So when I started like trying to theorize or to find uh, a theory to depend on for writing my book about Occidentalism, it was actually Edward Said Orientalism. But um, um, when I started, I was just like making some kind of a conversation with Edward Said, uh, like uh, telling him, you know, Edward, it's not like that. It's Arabs will not pass it, will not. Um, uh, like looking at um, the way they are represented in the Western culture while they keep silent. It's not the case. They are actually doing something also like equal or similar to Orientalism, but on the other side, looking at the West, looking at the, the Americans, especially um, in, the, in, in the second half of the 20th century when America became very involved in the Middle East and they also make some kind of representation. They also created some kind of stereotypes about Americans and even um, the images of the West in the Arab mentality that was um, like in the beginning of the 20th century was um, connected to the English, the French, the Italians, um, the old occupiers of, of certain parts of the Arab world, they were replaced with images about Americans. Like jokes about um, English soldiers in Egypt, for example, were replaced with jokes about uh, American soldiers in Iraq or in Afghanistan. So but but at the same time, I um, like usually look at Orientalism as not as like one whole body, which is 
totally negative or it's not like that because there are many Orientalists who came to this part of the world and spent many, many years and went back to their countries to tell nice stories about those people. So um, uh, in Arab Occidentalism, image of America in the Middle East, I try to explore how the Egyptian, especially the Egyptian culture, the Arab culture in general, but especially the Egyptian, asserts the value of America as a potential model. And this was asserted or became confirmed after the election of Barack Obama and with his logo uh, about uh, change. And um, at this time, Arabs were also trying to negotiate their position internationally. And just a few years before Obama, there were started many, many um, like social movements, um, especially in Egypt, which um, tries, uh, tried to um, explore p- uh, potential opportunities for change to happen. So I, 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 my research engages with um, many popular artifacts that um, contribute to the, the, the perception of the other. And the choice of these texts, whether they are literary, filmic, journalistic, etc., were based on their popularity as best-selling novels, for example, like Bastard's movies and um, uh, articles written by uh, well-known um, journalists in Egypt or in the Arab wallet. Mm-hmm. And that, that the main, the main uh, uh, element I depended on while choosing these texts is their engagement with the U.S.-Middle East encounter, especially after 9-11 and especially after the election of Obama. Uh, why Egypt? This might be a question. Why did I choose Egypt? Um, because, of course, being Egyptian, this will help me a lot, finding the materials I need, visiting the country many times during uh, conducting my research and uh, looking at things on land. But also Egypt is, is a major cultural and political center in the Arab world. And we, we know that Egypt is the, the, the home of one of the history's first great civilizations. And it has a very strong Islamic traditions. It has a, a very strong cosmopolitan nature. And it has a very strong also modern Pan-Arab political and intellectual history. So... Its regional leadership gives enhanced to its standing as being the cultural capital of the Arab wallet. So that's why I choose Egypt as um, uh, the main fountain of the cultural text I chose in, uh, for my book. And you do a wonderful job of, of selecting texts that are, are representative and illuminating in terms of, of what they reveal about Kind of the Arab social imagination of the U.S., and you in the first chapter you begin this uh, looking at post nine eleven Arab fiction, um, but you also do a really good job of kind of setting us up with uh, perspectives about twentieth cent- century Arab literature in general. So could could you give us just kind of a brief snapshot of some of the shifting attitudes towards America and American culture? over that 20th century, and then how, do, how does that change in the novels that you look at in a post-9-11 literary world? Let, let me start by giving like some kind of like overview of um, the whole book, how, 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 it, how I can 
make some kind of harmony between different texts. I have a book between novels. Um, uh, even I have a chapter on Arab American, uh, and I have a novel and uh, and uh, uh, some poems uh, also included in this chapter. So I have poetry, I have novels, I have um, uh, journalism, I have films in the same book. So the book attempts actually to to negotiate two realities. The history of Orientalism and Occidentalism, this is on one hand, and the longing of many Arabs to create terms of mutual understanding and connection between the U.S. and the Middle East on the other hand. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going back to Orientalism because this is how, how it starts with um, the idea in my mind. So in Orientalism, Odiwar Saidi states that the West underwent some kind of Orientalization and was transformed into a stereotype over centuries by religious wars, literary depictions, and the scholarly discourse, the body of knowledge, which in the end constituted what we know as Orientalism. Do we have the same thing in, 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 in the Arab world? Do we have a group of texts from different um, uh, directions from literature, from uh, film studies, from journalism, which in the end constitute a body of knowledge about America, and we can call it Occidentalism. This is what I tried, or my book delves into these questions, um, trying to uh, inform the relationship between um, the Arab self and the American uh, other, um, in, uh, as represented in this book. So, um, in the first chapter, uh, in the chapter about the novels, the one you mentioned, I chose two novels. Uh, uh, one, one of them takes place in New York, in New York City, the other one in Chicago. And both cities, uh, they do have uh, a, a good number of uh, Arabs living there in New York, um, I think I believe the largest Egyptian community is in New York, um, uh, in New Jersey, like in New York area, if I, if I add New Jersey to uh, uh, New York area. And um, in Chicago also there is a, 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 a big Arab community living there. So the first one is dealing with the um, Sunni Shia issue, uh, Birds of the South by Amani Abulfadi. Uh, which won the Arabic, uh, like, took the, uh, won the award of the best Arabic novel in 2004, four or five, I'm not sure. Um, um, the novel is taking this dispute between um, Arabs themselves, like uh, Sunni or Shia, and between Muslims also, Muslims who are Sunni and Muslims who are Shia, taking this dispute to the the American soil, to the American land, and discussing it there, trying to see if if we have if we have the same like in in the Arab world, if we have the same democracy, the same freedom, the same uh, values in America, happen here in the Arab world, will it be solved? Will the issue be solved? And. Um, um, as, as, as we do have stereotypes about the West, as we do have stereotypes about the, about the United States, 
Arabs themselves are div- divided into Sunni and Shia, and each group has its own stereotypes about the other. And what was the way out of that? It was actually by facing each other, by starting to talk to each other. So when they started to talk to each other, they discovered that there are many, many stereotypes there, which were not true. And they even um, became ready for the next step, which is to get united. And this story, they get united through marriage. So the the hero in this novel is someone coming from Egypt, uh, working as a physical pharmacist in the United States, which, by the way, in New York, there are many, many Egyptian physical pharmacists living there. And uh, I have some of my friends who are physical pharmacists in New York. So I'm not sure if the the novelist uh, chose this kind of job because she left in New York for some time or not. Anyway, he comes from Egypt. He comes even from the most uh, uh, like conservative part of Egypt, which Upper Egypt and Upper Upper Egypt. He's coming from Luxor, so he's coming from a very conservative society, where he has some kind of assumptions about Shia, and he lived with this Shia family and. Um, he noticed that they are very religious, which he likes about them. And after some time, he discovered that they are Shia. And to him, to the um, uh, the way he were, he was trained to believe that Shia are more dangerous than any other group, than even uh, uh, non-Muslims. So he 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 became like very very uh, upset about um, living with them in the in the same uh, building, and uh, he started like to uh, take himself away from this relationship. But after some time, he the questions he raised and he was able to discuss with those people. Um, um, uh, wipes away all the words he has in mind about um, um, this group of uh, Muslims, about Shia. And in the second novel, um, uh, it's Abel Aswani in Chicago. And Abel Aswani, he lived in Chicago for three years, I believe. Um, so his, his, his novel is based on some kind of personal experience in Chicago. And he was also discussing some kind of internal issues in Egypt, um, which is when Egyptians were sent abroad to study abroad and the kind of relationship they have with each other and their relation, uh, relationship to the state as well. And he believes that um, um, uh, uh, Egypt uh, under Mubarak was, um, uh, as, a dictatorship, as a dictatorship, was monitoring the activities of those Egyptians while studying abroad because they might constitute a, a threat to the regime in Egypt. So um, he was trying to follow up these kind of relationships between Egyptians and themselves and the different characters they represent. And those are the, 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 the scholars who are starting in the U.S. right now to go back to Egypt in the future and become the leaders of the country. So it gives us some kind of uh, 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 an insight into how Egypt looks like in the future. 
even as those are very well educated scholars, when they go back and they leave their country, this is how they act. This is how their personalities are like. So this is what. I, so in in both novels, actually, we bring we bring issues uh, 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 of um, internal issues from the Arab wallet to happen in uh, on the American land and to. Um, try to discuss it as if as if those scholars or those novelists and I mean Alal Aswani or Amal Abul found the American land um, uh, a very uh, useful place to use to tackle our problems and um, this shows how um, Arabs in general look at America as a model for change that's a good segue into your second chapter, which looks at Arab news media kind of in a broad sense, but then uh, zooms into these two moments, the uh, 2008 <laughs> yeah. uh, moment when uh, a reporter threw a shoe at then-President Bush, uh, which is just a, a fascinating yeah. story in and of itself, and then how you look at that is really Amazing. And then the election of Barack Obama, which you mentioned already, this kind of idea of hope and change was very inspirational. So what did, what did you find when you were looking at the kind of news media more generally? Yeah, I, I, as I said, the book was trying to look at the body of knowledge in general. And of course, media constitutes um, uh, uh, or makes a large uh, portion in this regard. And... Um, I was I was like very interested in looking at news stories and how readers in Egyptian newspapers how readers responded to these news stories, especially news stories about America. So um, why I chose these two incidents um, uh, when Professor um, Zaidi threw uh, issues on uh, George W. Bush during his visit to Iraq and um, uh, how some Arabs started like this as being a victory <laughs> achieved by an Arab uh, against um, uh, the U.S. who occupied Iraq at that time. And um, the, other, the other incident was um, the election of Barack Obama. What is the relation between the two uh, incidents? Um, I still believe that if we don't have George W. Bush, we don't have Obama as a president. So um, I think that... Um, that the kind of hatred uh, proposed by the U.S. at um, uh, at the hands of the U.S. Uh, the former U.S. president George W. Bush when he started to uh, talk about why do they hate us when he used the word crusades in his speech, blah blah blah. All of these um, uh, words of hate, um, especially that the war of Iraq was brought later that it was not needed um, because um, the weapons he talked about was not there. So you invaded a country, you destroyed a nation just because of some uh, assumptions you have in your mind about uh, uh, your role as, as a Christian who should come to this part of the world and set people free and uh, spread your values, blah, blah, blah. So Arabs were talking about the same stuff, and they were worried about the same things. And they were even, and this is what we will talk about in the movies, they were also worried about this to happen to another Arab country, to happen to Egypt, to have Tunisia, or any other Arab country. 
So they started to look at Bush as um, as a person who is trying to, to push America to get uh, uh, more um, uh, 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 undesired or uh, unfavored uh, involvement in the Middle East. And they think that this person is the one to be hated. And um, uh, throwing um, the journalist who throws, uh, who throws his shoes on, 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 on George W. Bush and in the Arab culture, throwing a shoe on someone is, um, is a symbol of um, uh, disrespect, is a symbol of hate, uh, um, is a symbol of um, uh, being an, an, um, uh, a person who is not uh, um, like welcomed by people in, in their place, like in their house or in their homeland. So it it was a, a symbolic message, and um, it uh, it like like when I followed up the news stories about this uh, incident, I noticed how people are happy with it, and um, um, most talks there were not about America as a state, but about a person who is named George W. Bush, who is responsible for what the mess we are witnessing right now in Iraq. And this person, if he continues to be, or if he, uh, I know he, uh, in 2008, he was leaving the White House. But people, like, always look at uh, presidents, especially in the Arab world. They are um, trained to have presidents for 30, 40 years. So they look at those people as being, like, they will be the everlasting presidents of, of these nations. So they think that if George W. Bush or someone like him is there in the White House, this will harm the relationship between Arabs and the U.S. more and more. And that's why I chose the other incident is to be the election of Obama. Why Obama? Because this is a totally different, um, uh, looks like U.S. president. Um, He doesn't look like a U.S. president from what we used to have in the past. He looks like us. He has a middle name, an Arabic middle name. So um, people started, and he's coming to say, yes, we can, we can make a change, blah, blah, blah. So these words actually address what the Arabs have in mind and what they think about. Starting, as I said, this has started with uh, uh, workers' movements in 2005 in Kifaya, um, uh, a social movement, and other other movements that started in Egypt, looking for some kind of freedom and and democracy, and calls for the same values Americans believe in. So Obama came at the right time, and came to call for. The same things Arabs and Egyptians in particular were looking for. So they started to believe in themselves more with the election of Obama. So Obama was elected in the U.S., but he gives hope to those nations in the Arab world that they can achieve this change. And one of the articles I have in the book is written by Ibrahim Isa, a very famous journalist in Egypt. And he was making this nice comparison between um, or like making some kind of um, fictional 
uh, story about the father of uh, Obama, Barack Obama, uh, Mr. Hussein Obama, coming to Egypt before traveling to the U.S. And um, he married an Egyptian girl from Mansoura, um, an Egyptian city famous for its beautiful girls. So he married a very beautiful Egyptian girl. And they gave birth to um, uh, their son, whom they named Mabruk. And, uh, and because this marriage was not actually welcomed by the family, so there were many, many problems between, um, between them. So Barack, uh, Mr. Uh, Hussein Obama, decided to travel to the U.S. and leave his wife and leave his son, and he traveled to the U.S., where he married a white American girl and got Barack. And the end of the story, Ibrahim Isa is making a comparison actually between Barack and Mabruk. Mabruk was born in Egypt, raised up in Egypt. And he said in the end of this article, he said that actually Barack became president of the United States while Mabruk is still fighting to get the Egyptian citizenship. And this kind of comparison between um, between imagining uh, Mr. Hussein Obama coming to Egypt and having a son there and going to the U.S. and having a son there and the future of these two sons, how it looked like after many, many years, is because he ends up this article by saying the only condition to become a president in Egypt is not to have the citizenship or not to have Hussein Obama as your father or not to have uh, Barack as your brother in the U.S., it's to have Muhammad Hosni Mubarak or Hosni Mubarak, the president of Egypt, as your father. And he was referring to Gamal Mubarak, who was supposed to be the president after his death during that time. So all of these um, uh, news stories about uh, the two incidents were showing uh, um, the two things I talked about in, in, in the beginning, about what this book is trying to do. Uh, our position with regard to the history of Orientalism and Occidentalism is shown in the incident of throwing a show on U.S., on the U.S. president, which is uh, George W. Bush. We don't like your involvement in our region. We don't want you to get involved in this, and we hate your act in this. While showing in the second incident, choosing or election of Barack Obama and welcoming it and thinking that this will be the source of hope for a change in the Arab world is doing actually the second thing, which is looking at America as a model of, for change and looking at America as a source of hope in this regard. So two Americas in, in, in the same chapter, two Americas actually in the same book, um, the America we don't like which is um, uh, in agreement with the polls, not only by Gallup, many, many other organizations, but Gallup, like uh, one of the most trusted organizations in the U.S. It's, it, it, it comes to make this kind of agreement with these polls that we don't like American policy in the Middle East, but we like so, um, the American values, the American democracy, the American freedom uh, we like them most, and we th- we think that they are a source of hope for us as well. You also explore this relationship between the U.S. and the Middle East through uh, Egyptian film. Could, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, how this relationship, this uh, East-West encounter, is imagined through uh, Arab cinema in a post-9/11 world? 
Um, I, I, I try to analyze the ways in which Egyptian films attempt to demonstrate that the oppressed, the excluded, and the dominant uh, pose a constant threat to any dialogue between the United States and the Arab world. So these films show like some kind of gaps in, in, in that discourse between um, the U.S. and the Arab world. Um, first of all, it, 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 usually all of these films that, that um, um, uh, deal with this kind of controversial discourse emphasize the centrality of the Arab-Israel conflict. And the war in Iraq is added uh, after 2003. And not only that, but also the anti-Arab sentiment that um, swept America after 9-11. So these three issues were discussed in many films that dealt with this kind of discourse between the U.S. and the Arab world after 9-11. The first movie is um, The Night Baghdad Fall. And uh, this movie, um, it's also like a very fictional story. Uh, it tackles both issues. If, if you look, if the reader looks very deep into while reading this book, he will find that the two things I emphasized at the beginning of the book are running together throughout the whole thing. The whole chapters, every single chapter, every single story in this book is telling you the same thing, which is um, the looking at the internal issue, what Arabs are suffering from in their, if I'm, if I'm focusing on the Egyptian case, what Egyptians are suffering from in their own country, lacking of uh, freedom from democracy, suffering from corruption, suffering from uh, uh, um, um, the absence of all these values that people cherish in the United States. And at the same time, their uh, fear, their hatred, their um, uh, um, the way they look at the American policy in the, in the, in the Middle East. So in, in this movie, it's a fictional story about a school headmaster who is imagining that what happened to Iraq at the hands of American uh, soldiers will happen also in Egypt. So he, he got some nightmares about Americans coming to Egypt to invade Egypt and destroy he, the, his city. He lives in Cairo and um, rape his daughter, doing his stuff that happened in Abu Ghraib. And so he, he had this in mind. He decided, and this shows how how Egyptians at that time are looking at their country, are looking at their government, are looking at their uh, administration, that they are absent from the scene. He decided to find a way to defend his country against the American occupation. He started to look, and he, as a school headmaster, he knows a lot of his students who are brilliant, especially in science, and he started to recall the names of those students and he recalls one of them who was very genius in science. And he decided to go and look for, for him. Um, and this is how the story started. He brings this uh, uh, young man and 
told him, I'm going to let you marry my daughter. I give you money. I do whatever you want. But you have to work hard to invent a weapon that can be used to prevent the American invasion of Egypt. And from there, the story started. And from time to time, he's haunted by these nightmares, which recalls pictures and images Egyptians have about America from Abu Ghraib, the pictures released from Abu Ghraib, and um, the pictures that, that came in, in the media about Americans shooting uh, Iraqis in the streets. Blah, blah. So they have this in mind as well. And the, the images they have in mind about Baghdad uh, were automatically um, transferred into their minds about the same images about Cairo. If it happens, uh, an American invasion of Cairo, there will be these images of the uh, con- uh, uh, construction everywhere. So um, this is this is the first movie. The second movie is also tracing the two threats I mentioned earlier. Um, it's about uh, how terrorism is created and how Americans are um, thinking how many Americans are through what is um, uh, uh, represented in the media, in the, in the films, how they imagine terrorism is created and is um, emanates from. And this movie is called Baby Don't Night, um, trying to get Egyptian Americans involved in this as well. So it's about um, uh, a group of Americans coming from New York to visit Cairo, and it has one Egyptian-American who is um, like having a, a tourist company, and he's the one who is leading this um, trip to Cairo. And his friend was a journalist who went to Iraq to cover the war there and was imprisoned in Abu Ghraib suffered from torture at the hands of Americans, and he turned to be a terrorist. Later on, he became a terrorist. He was a friend of the guy who was Egyptian-American and who is working, for, uh, working in, the, in the field of tourism right now. So one became uh, involved in tourism in the U.S., the other one became a terrorist in the field of terrorism in Egypt after he suffered from the torture at the hands of Americans in, in Abu Ghraib. And from there, the story and the two threats um, work together. The guy who is coming, the Egyptian-American who is coming from America, he's looking at America as a source of freedom and uh, democracy, blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to represent the same image to his fellow Egyptians. And the other one who is who suffered from Americans in Iraq is bringing another or a different uh, image of America um, to, to tell people about it. So the two threads are running together throughout the whole book, and this is how it works in the, in the chapter about the movies. The last chapter you have is an interesting one because it looks uh, not at um, Arab, Arabs coming from the Middle East, but Arab Americans, uh, and how the, what kind of cultural responses they have in the post-9-11 United States context. So uh, what do you see uh, in contemporary Arab-American literary products uh, in terms of how do they navigate this hybridity, this, this hybrid identity of both being Arab um, and being an American? How, how do they navigate that? How do they communicate what these identities mean to them? And, and how do you see this fitting into this idea of Occidentalism? 
when when I started writing my my book, I was I was not like um, uh, at the beginning. I was not interested in including Arab Americans in this book because I I thought that this is a book about um, Arab occidentalism. This is how Arabs who lives in the Arab world who live in the Arab world are imagining America. Why should I include a chapter about Arab American literary texts? But um, um, I was I was interested in how Arab Americans are trying to to bridge the gap between their being Arab and their being American at the same time, and um, and how they they themselves are actually represented, whether in the Amer- in, in America in their homeland right now or when they visit uh, the Arab world, how they their fellow Arabs um, uh, look at them as uh, at the same time. I was I was. Uh, very interested in emails from Shahrazad by Mogaka, where she creates some kind of um, uh, a representational space from the legendary Thousand and One Nights stories, which is very familiar, whether in the Arab world or in, in the West, uh, to thematize the hardships faced by Arab minorities in the United States. This was very interesting for me, because what Shahrazad did in, 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 in Thousand and One Nights that she actually saved um, uh, all other women from being slaughtered by telling stories to the king. And what Mogakaf is trying to say to, in, in her emails from Shahrazad is that I'm going to use words also to save my fellow Arabs in the U.S. from this wave of hatred that happened after 9-11. So Morgakaf depicts the lies of those who are not heard within the normative national discourse of both, not only the United States, it's both the United States and the Arab wallet. And her work calls for a return to a self-supporting Arab woman, for a move towards independence, and for the rejection of a male role. So um, um, by returning to tradition, and self-reliance of the past, emails from Shahrazad showed that Arab-American women have much to offer to the United States in the post-9-11 attacks by restoring tradition while reconciling uh, reconciling it with the effects of modernity. Um, So the American Shahrazad, in in, in emails from Shahrazad by Mogakaf, uses her traditional ways of the past to create a modern mirror of herself. And this is very important, whether for her being an American or her being also partially an Arab. So in in both parts of the world, in both uh, areas, on both regions, this is much needed. In the second uh, work of art I used in this chapter um, by Leila Halabi. Uh, her novel, Once in a Promised Land. Um, and th- this book is doing a, a, a good job in emphasizing how the past informed the present. Um, and, and how, how after 9-11, um, the world, that, that the American dream and the nice world that Arabs live in the U.S. Um, becomes for many of them a futureless world. And um, uh, it, it, it details how, how some Arab Americans, some kind, um, face some kind of 
damage when they do um, when they do experience the absolute freedom they have in the U.S. So it tells the story of um, those who immigrate to the U.S. and um, uh, get rid of their uh, cultural heritage and started to get immersed in the melting pot, the American melting pot, and this damaged their 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 own personality, their own heritage, their own cultural heritage. Um, so in in both in both works of art, um, um, the issue of identity is revisited. Um, and it's revisited from the perspective of those high-connected personalities of uh, the novelist and the poet. And uh, 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 this kind of conflict um, uh, or like um, um, being American and being an Arab at the same time, um, it becomes another uh, a source for another uh, conflict going on within the um, the, the personalities of um, of the heroine Salwa in the Promised Land or Shahrazad in emails from Shahrazad. So um, Leila Halabi in, in in the novel she focuses on the small familiar space within which she tries to investigate the post-colonial dilemma. In that way, the globalization has come to explain the hybrid nature of Arab American writers. And there is a third national or local dimension, a new cultural hybrid integrating the two national cultures, Arab and American, through a process of some kind of cognitive and emotional, um, um, uh, like uh, identity or uh, or entity. So... um, uh, in this way, I, I find the Arab Americans are trying to create some kind or construct some kind of alternative identities and, and focus on uh, um, the moment they can, uh, um, the, their identity is constructed uh, within the constraints of history and time, whether the history of Arab, Arab, Arab Americans in the U.S. or whether the history of Arabs themselves, like the history of women in the Arab world, the history of um, so many things that um, uh, constitute some kind of obstacles on the way to freedom and, and on the way to so many good values they experienced it in the in the in the U.S. So they, they became like torn between these two identities and they try to imagine some kind of a third identity, a third uh, uh, um, space between the two, um, the two worlds. Well, you've explained all this with great clarity here and I would encourage listeners to, to get the book because you, you do even a better job in the book itself and both kind of laying out the visual uh, imagery of these texts and films that you're examining and and your analysis as well. So so thank you for that. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Before we let you go, though, can you tell us a little bit about the things you're you're working on now or have uh, lined up in the future? Are we going to have more uh, Arab Occidentalism to look forward to <laughs> from your work, or are you moving into um, directions? Um, I'm actually right now. I just um, I have a project that has uh, been awarded the uh, Qatar Foundation um, um, uh, research grant, and um, uh, this book about transcultural identities 
uh, when I look at uh, the contemporary Arab social movements and uh, and the, the 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 central research question for this project are like how do new media, film, and literary or artistic forms of expression inform and echo currents of transformation in the Arab world, especially after the Arab Spring, and how do such forms theorize transcultural identity as a form of um, citizen engagement at the center of transformation politics in the Arab world. So the project attempts to um, to present a unique attempt to investigate forms of cultural production as new modes of knowledge that shed light on the nature of social movements with the aim of expanding the critical reach of the disciplinary methods of political discourse and social theory. It's a bit focusing on the Arab world at this time, focusing on not, not the U.S. Arab uh, Arab world relationship. It's it's totally focusing on the Arab world. I'm trying to seek to artic- articulate systematically the ways in which the Arab scene can contribute to the understanding of the rise of new social movements worldwide. So in this way, I'm, I'm studying how the Arab world is actually um, filling to, through the, what happened in the Arab Spring is filling some kind of mytho- uh, methodological gaps in the dominant Western discourse and theories um, about um, um, the constitution of uh, how, how Arab social movements or how social movements in, 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 in general could be studied or explored. Um, so in this book, um, I'm doing some kind of a, a comparative look at, um, um, instead of like focusing on a single case study, I'm looking at different cases. I'm taking Egypt, Tunisia, Yemen, and uh, of course Syria, um, and looking at how, uh, um, how these revolutionary momentous in specific Arab countries um, uh, highlight the role of uh, 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 like new kind of uh, discourse, new kind of um, knowledge, new kind of cultural production that happened after the Arab Spring. Mm. Um, so this is my uh, current work, and uh, um, uh, it will. One of the deliverables is a book that will be uh, within two years from now. Mm. Hopefully, <laughs> yes. Well, congratulations in, on that Thanks very so prestigious award and. And good luck on the project. It sounds, uh, it sounds excellent. Thank you so much. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.